and welcome to Game Breaking Feature, the podcast where we analyze and discuss common elements of modern video game design and development. My name is Stephen Bennett, and in this episode, we'll be talking about empowerment. Games, like other forms of art, challenge us in different ways. Sometimes they ask us to confront our feelings and emotions. Sometimes they ask us to land 10 headshots in a row. To help me discuss how empowerment affects player engagement is a man who gazes unflinching into the abyss, resolute in the knowledge that the abyss is more afraid of him than he is of it. My good friend, Jared Bruner. Jared, how you doing, man? I'm doing fine. Nothing, nothing matters. Everything's pointless, <laughs> but it's out of our control. So, you know, no, I'm good. Before, uh, before, before I ever went into any of that, did you have to look up what that quote was from? Uh, I just assumed it was something brilliant that you wrote. It wa- well, it wasn't. <laughs> did you? But honestly, did you have to look it up, or did you know specifically that that's a? Uh, no, I, I, I didn't. I didn't look it up. You, you knew that was Nietzsche right off the bat. I did not. No. That's just how I'm feeling today. <laughs> That's just how you're feeling. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, Jared, hopefully we can brighten your day up because we have a great topic to talk about and a uh, amazing guest to talk about it with. Joining us all the way from Melbourne, Australia, she's the game design lead at Opaque Space. They're currently working on Earthlight VR. Please help me welcome Jenny Shorley. Hey. Jenny, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm really, really I feel happy. like I, I feel like I messed it up. I even <laughs> wrote it down and I... Still feel you like are I better up than like ninety percent of everyone I have ever talked to. <laughs> <laughs> nice work, hi, Jenny Scheuerle. Yay, that's the one. It's a weird How one. What did I do? It's, even for Germans, okay, it's perfect. a weird one. <laughs> I'll edit all the bad takes out. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I no, do. leave them all in. People need to know that I, that how, how bad I am as an American at pronouncing other people's names. <laughs> Jenny, how are you? Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's a it's a very beautiful, bright day over in Melbourne. Uh, yeah, it's it's quite a time difference between us. I am from the future. From the future, yeah. <laughs> yeah I was saying earlier, hopefully, hopefully things look better uh, in in Tomorrowland <laughs> than they do here, because things things aren't always looking uh, the best I will in, just... in yesterday land. <laughs> I will just say is, yes is, to make us all is feel. Is player unknown's battlegrounds out yet? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ironically, we get games a lot later than you do. I don't know why that is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> None of this makes any sense. <laughs> Now, Jenny, for the the people listening uh, who might not be familiar with you, how did how did you get started working in game development? Where did you start out? Uh, all right, I'll try to keep this short because <laughs> I can go on a massive tangent on this. Um, the short story is that I uh, have played games for my entire life and never ever even thought about how games actually make it to my computer. <laughs> for some reason, I just never had the idea that you could actually work in game development. And um, I always, always had had a background in art. So uh, doing high school and um, everything, yeah, within it, I, I always knew that it has to be something artistic, something that has to do with creative um, out- outlet, essentially. So uh, I had a, a tiny little couple of months dip your toe in into the German art scene, and I hated the living shit out of it. Can I swear on this show? <laughs> oh yeah, of course, go for it. We we encourage it. <laughs> okay, well then I'm I'm right at home then. <laughs> so I I hated it so much and um, was pretty devastated because it, like for years it was just clear I had to do something with art and I just hated it. And I came across wait why why oh, oh my god it's just so mm, pretentious like I I felt none of it felt real to me or or like people actually trying to do interesting things but rather 
um, uh, just a really rich um, elite scene where people look down on uh, people who who don't do something cross or um, or outrageous with their art, <laughs> which I thought was just I don't know I, I never liked it. it. It was it felt uh, fake to me in in many ways, and I I never felt at home. I was really depressed <laughs> during the time hmm. actually. Uh, yeah, and just didn't know what to do afterwards because it was clear for such a long time that I would somehow end up in that scene. And then I hated it, so I, I didn't know what the hell was going on. And uh, I, I came across this ad in a video game magazine. I was like, study game design at whatever. It was uh, the SAE institution, Institute in, in Berlin, I guess. It was one of the very first schools that opened to where you could study game development flat out. So I was like, whoa, that, that's the right one. That, that's exactly what I need to do because what I love about games uh, compared to other art forms is that it has to be so, um, it's so practical, it's so functional, right? Uh, so it, it's, a, it's an art medium that needs all these other art forms like music and, and, and visual art and writing and so on to so just work together. And it has like always, no matter how artsy fighty the game is, right? It has always a, a, a very practical aspect because they need to, function together as a system mm -hmm. and it was just it was perfect it was exactly what i what i needed from um from yeah artistic expression in sense really artsy ironically but yes that's exactly what i wanted so i studied <laughs> and uh yeah that's that's now six and a half years ago <laughs> so you started you started in germany and then you made your way to working in australia what was that what was that transition like for you yeah it, it's three years coming up now that i left germany for uh for the australian video game industry it's it's a complicated and slightly painful story because i um, i have a very difficult relationship with the german games industry <laughs> to say the very least i um i never felt good within it i uh, i felt really muzzled and uh, i felt like uh, it was very corporate uh, very like the German games industry is so weird in and of itself. It, I don't think there's anything like it. We still have browser games that make money. Can you believe that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe a little bit. <laughs> I can kind of believe it. Really, really weird. Like, you know that you remember the time the four or five years when browser games were really big, like O game and stuff like that. Do you remember that time? Mm -hmm. That's still happening in Germany. Yeah, I don't. Now. And see, I don't think I don't think browser games were like super big here in the states. I know. I'm familiar with like Edmund McMillan. I know he came out of that that browser game yeah. space, first, first and then made uh, indie, obviously indie like def. Super Meat Boy and stuff. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So first first indie wave came out of browser games for the better or worse in some cases. But yes, <laughs> but in Germany that's still yeah, alive. Exactly. Like that's that's still total. Like common practice in in the German game development industry, and it's just it's really strange. Um, that sounds like how like how Germans <laughs> like love American eighties music, you know, like <laughs> yes, <laughs> like they're just a few years behind on a lot exactly. of the the pop culture stuff. Oh, it's at, at least at, if if American <laughs> movies have taught me anything about Germany, <laughs> it's like I, I can I can totally tell you that that's entirely true. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a, an industry run by a lot of people with. Um, in suits and with lots of money who have just heard that indie games or games in general are the place to be now if you want to make some cash and um, yeah it, it it kind of reflects on industry by 
the industry making lots of clones of mobile games and browser games in that case and I don't like it very much it just it just never worked for me and I wanted to do something completely different and yeah I was thinking about okay where do I go if this is not working out for me and I wanted to stay in an English-speaking country because uh, my English was already quite good so yeah it was UK US or Australia Sydney has 152 beaches, so I ended up in Australia, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Good as reason as any. Australia but you have has... to weigh you have to weigh the beaches. You have to weigh the beaches against spiders, though. That's like the yes. trade off. <laughs> yes, I have been really lucky. I have not seen a proper spider yet in my three years here. I don't know why. I must be lucky. Or I don't just know. stay in the city. <laughs> <laughs> but you got. But you have like a you have like a possum infestation. Oh right? my god! Yeah, I think my Twitter followers are very very familiar with my possum war <laughs> like to be fair like our possums over in australia are really really cute so they are not like your beasts from hell over in the yeah US. i know when i when i saw you were you had possums you were talking about like oh the possum came into my house and went through my refrigerator i was like oh my god burn your house down and move but then you then i saw a picture of the possum you were talking about i was like oh that's that's adorable that's that's the trash demons that we have <laughs> like <laughs> It's really difficult to be mad at it, um, but yeah, we're we're at a weird point in this war now where the cat cuddles with the possum outside. <laughs> it's totally oblivious. see that's a, that's the kind of war that's the kind of war we would all be so lucky to fight, right? <laughs> but also the possum, like I started feeding it with apples outside because it had a baby, and it was like, oh, I have to do something. And now that's not how you fight a possum war at all. <laughs> I know, but now now if I don't put out apples. It gets really mad and it comes inside and it just steals apples from. I've got news for you. You, you. you just have a new pet now. <laughs> yeah, you own that possum now. <laughs> yeah, it. We have a lot of uh, work calls in the like early morning hours, like four or five, with our collaborators uh, in the US. So sometimes we just get up at four or five and just just possum sitting in the in the living room and that's just our life, I guess. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> Well, it's, so it sounds like the move to Australia has agreed with you. It has, yeah. I um, I really love it over here. It has a really unique uh, indie dev scene, mainly indie. Like we have lost, I think, our last AAA proper AAA studio about two years ago with Two K. Uh, it's expensive over here, so we don't really get a lot of AAA studios. We have EA's Fire Monkeys, but they do. They're about I think two hundred people or so. They work on EA's mobile game division mainly. And some Sims, I guess. But that's about it. Everything else is... Well, tell me about Opaque Space. Let's talk about Earthlight a little yeah. bit. Yeah. How did you get involved with the project? How did the project come about? Tell me a little bit about that. Oh, yeah, Earthlight is and Opaque is such a special um, special story. <laughs> Where do I even start? Um, Opaque... So Opaque Space is its own division under a company called the Opaque Media Group. And the Opaque Media Group is more like a, um, a VR entrepreneurial VR applications for health and education type of thing. And um, and my boss, Emma Dennis, who, uh, who made Opaque Space, uh, got involved a couple of years ago uh, just as a texture artist and worked his way up. And somehow he decided to uh, make a new division underneath the Opaque Media Group that is called Opaque Space, which was specifically... Um, yeah, about Earthlight. So Earthlight is a VR game um, now made in collaboration with NASA. So <laughs> it's 
it has a really long story that I will spare you. Um, it went through a lot of motions until it got to where it is right now. But um, my involvement was essentially when Opaque Space came to life as its own company. And um, that was already when, when NASA knew about Opaque Space and about Earthlight. Uh, it, it's a story that came to life because they found footage of the game when it was still in prototype phase and um, tech demo phase on Reddit. <laughs> And we're like, hey, that's pretty cool. And uh, here we are somehow. So um, we were part of the Vive Accelerator program and built a 15-minute version of Earthlight where you go on to a spacewalk on the outside of the ISS. And when I say in collaboration with NASA, I mean that uh, parts of that exact game, which is out for consumers as a short VR experience, is used at NASA's... Um, uh, hybrid reality laboratory for developing training for astronauts. That's pretty badass. Yeah, that's way cool. <laughs> it's pretty crazy, isn't it? Yeah, I know. So our collaborators include um, like literal NASA and uh, Boeing Defense for the Starliner program. Yeah, <laughs> it's we we are in this weird intersection of we make games and and I make the the games that we make very much in a in a classic game manner, but we are informed by um by people like nasa and um they like these two things feed each other the the training part and the game part feed really nicely off each other because it means that the game part that goes out to consumers is more realistic and more um like closer to what it actually feels like to be an astronaut and at the same time what we, what we do on the game side benefits nasa and their work in vr very cool now What's, what is Earthlight? Is it a sort of traditional narrative game or is it more akin to sort of like a, a simulation? <laughs> Such a hard question because I've been asked that so many times and I uh, I don't know. Like we are equally in competitions and in like we, we're being recognized equally for being a serious game simulation as we are recognized for being a regular game. So... Uh, <laughs> I have given up of to answer this question because um, I have made it with the team as a game, like game design principles and, and everything that I know about game design goes into Earthlight. And um, it, it's very much has, uh, it has a narrative and it has a character and it has a story arc like any regular narrative game has. But at the same time, you control the game like a simulation because you control your hands and we... Uh, ask you to do things uh, quite accurately uh, to what actual astronauts do on the outside of the ISS. That paints a good picture, yeah. When I had heard about the project, that's sort of what I had imagined in my head. Mm. So that's that's cool that it has those story elements, but also that that grounding in sort of as much realism as, as you can paint into the game. Yeah, I mean, that's I, cool I, think, to hear. I think the game part of, of Earthside is very much that we... like. It does have a drama arc, for example. It's it's very short. It's only 15 minutes long. But it does have a drama arc, and it does uh, have moments where where we spice up the the experience by just, like, making some god rays happen and stuff like that. <laughs> because, um, like, we, we kind of stray from reality for spectacle. But it benefits um, the training part as well. So I'm just a big fan of of marrying these two together and it benefits training to uh, to not leave out the spectacle 
Now, how, how has making it in VR affected the design of the game? Was it originally, in, it was originally intended to be in VR, correct? Yeah, yeah. given that it came out of the Opaque Media Group um, as a tech demo before it became a game, it was intended to be in VR. So it was, it was always VR. Yes, it was always VR. Is is it would it have been possible to to make the game that you imagine in your you know in your mind's eye without VR or is VR a necessary component of this game in in your opinion? Um, I think it's entirely possible to make it um, outside of VR. I that's currently not on the table at all because um, because of our collaborations and um, I it's a funny story like. When I joined uh, Opaque Space as the game design lead in March, I think, yeah, the the company was founded like, like in in January, and then we they hired people, um, a team of team of three developers, and uh, later down at the track a producer, and Emre <laughs> as the CEO. Um, I wasn't that much into VR. I I loved Earthlight as as a project I've been following it for a really long time but I wasn't that much into VR and it over the past year it really really grew on me like with every new project that we're making and every new thing that I'm discovering about it uh, it yeah I I'm really fond of VR now I know that there's plenty of people that are still feel a little bit weird about VR and some experiences are just not good enough and I think it damages the market, but there's something really powerful about having a, a physical body in in a game um, that feels like you, you you know? And I, I don't hate, I hate, I hate the word immersion very much because <laughs> I don't think it's very <laughs> Me too, oh, me thank too. You. <laughs> I hate <laughs> immersion because you still know, like even in Earthside, even even in, in, in something like, um, like that is really built to be realistic, um, you still know that you play a game always, you do. But um, there's something powerful about having hands. I often struggle with the word immersion, and I'll use it in conversation, sort of because I've I've been trained that that's the <laughs> language to use when discussing video games. Yeah. But I, I don't think I don't consider immersion the way I think a lot of people consider the use of that word. Um, so I, yeah. yeah, I I have a. Uh, a a mixed history with the word immersion yeah, I, as well. I, hate, so I, I hate know exactly where you're coming from with that. Super, like from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> I I have to use it in <laughs> like in our business context because that's what people use in the VR industry, and we have a lot of overlaps with simulation and uh, and training, like um, U.S. Army and Air Force and people like that who we met at at simulation congresses, and like that word is everywhere. <laughs> it just really really yeah. annoys me because I I try to use um, engagement. Or funnily, because we're going to talk about that empowerment, because <laughs> I feel like that's more accurate for what we're trying to do. Where are you in the in the process for developing Earthlight, and where where do you see it going in the future? Yes, yeah, so uh, <laughs> it's a it's an interesting question because it has been a really weird year for us and Earthlight because um, when we were part of the VR Accelerator program, we essentially developed a fifteen minute Earthlight version in in three months and um, it was originally planned to be released um, for Vive into arcades that was the Vive deal like what the accelerator program program was about that didn't work out in the end for complicated reasons and 
we started a new project called Earthside Lunar, which we do with uh, another company called Neutim. And it's like a six player room scale um, Earthside that, where you go on, onto the moon, which I love very much working on right now. But um, Earthside was kind of sitting around for a while and we didn't know what was happening to it. So um, then September and August and October came and we won Game of the Year with Earthside at the Australian Game Developer Awards, which was super insane because <laughs> that has never happened before. Um, we A 15 minute game in VR wins Game of the Year is super strange because there are so many amazing games coming out of Australia, such as like Hand of Fate 2 came came out. And it also won Game of the Year, by the way, alongside us. Uh, it, it was just amazing. And we, at the same time, also won Studio of the Year. <laughs> so it has been yeah, really... Con- congratulations on all Thank that, you. by the way. It, congratulations. Yeah, we were absolutely stunned. And I was just sobbing on stage constantly. <laughs> and uh, we were just sitting there and we had so many requests from people um, to bring Earthlight to, to the public. So, which it was never really, um, it, it was never planned for us to do that, that way. It, we were just, it wasn't built for that. So we had so many requests and then we, we decided, okay, we, we're doing these people a favor and we're putting it on the Vive store. And um, yeah, you can, you can buy it. Like you can currently buy a version of Earthside that is consumer ready on Viveport for a couple of bucks, but it's only a 15 minute experience. However, we um, the Earthside franchise is going to be larger than that. So right now we're working on Earthside Lunar, which is a half an hour, six player experience um, with a room scale kit that can be played at physical locations. Talk- oh, cool. Yeah. Is it like I've seen those I've seen those like um, companies that are basically selling like the big glass boxes <laughs> that you put, set up at like at an arcade or something yeah. and then strap on the, the glasses. Is that what is that what you're talking about? Is that kind Pretty of much. setup? Yeah. So um, cool. Neutim is essentially the company that makes the the technology for it. So it's it's like a room scale seven by ten meter uh, space that you can go in and um, with six people, and it has mixed reality capabilities. So uh, you can bring physical real life objects into the virtual space, and it turns into something else. Like uh, for example, we're turning a yoga block into a, a tablet computer in the game. And stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, Earthside Lunar is essentially you and six, like you and five other friends, you're going on onto a mission of what it would be like to live on the moon. Very cool. If only I had five friends. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> you can come with me. I'll be your friend. <laughs> oh my gosh, I would, I would fly to Australia. That'd be, that'd be dope. Can we record our next podcast from the moon? <laughs> Maybe. Actually, actually, I now insist on it. <laughs> Like uh, there might be there might be sites available uh, in in the US. We're still negotiating that, but that's more on Neutim's side compared to us. And yeah, so there's there's well, if if you'll if you'll let us know whenever any of the US ones get set oh, up, yeah. we'll we'll definitely like tweet tweet it out and, and talk about it on the show. Oh, you and know. <laughs> I I would love to get out and try it. I I love VR. I've had very limited opportunities to experience it myself, mm-hmm. but it it's basically the technology I've wanted since I was a little mm-hmm. kid. Um, so yeah, if any of those opportunities come around yeah. to uh, totally let you know. Arizona, <laughs> Los I'll, Angeles, I'll be there. do it in Los Angeles. I know tons of people who would do it. Oh yeah, that's probably <laughs> the most likely space to, to get it. You guys get everything in Los Angeles. Send send some let 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 them send something out to Phoenix, Arizona, where we don't get any fun. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> 
yeah so long story short um i can't talk about specifics just yet but we are after the whole success that we had with only a very short version of earthside we are really keen to bring earthside to um to a full like a full short narrative game such as like a two to three hour edith finch-esque <laughs> kind of game where you um where you understand uh, human spaceflight through the eyes of the main character a little bit more edith oh, finch is like cool. one of my favorite games this year so you're saying all the right words <laughs> yes yes i i am um, like, we'll get in we we'll get into all that we'll get into all that save it okay, save okay. it <laughs> now jenny the way that i originally found you was through a post you had done on twitter a while back where you were talking about loot boxes. And at the time I had reached out and asked you if it was okay that I, I had mentioned that thread on this podcast, which was at this point, probably several episodes ago. Um, but I, I appreciate that you are so vocal on Twitter about things like game design and game development. And anyone who's listening to this show, hopefully is, is somewhat interested in those things as well. I encourage everyone to go follow Jenny on Twitter. Cause she, post some some really insightful stuff uh, from a point of view that maybe is not always shared. But um, a- as someone who's so active on Twitter and vocal on Twitter, is there is there something that you, is there like a goal? Or you, uh, is there something you want to accomplish by being so so vocal and out there about game design? Uh, yeah, I, I'm actually really happy that, <laughs> that this is what people um, connect with my Twitter account now because... It has been um, has been interesting when you're when you're a woman on the internet. That sometimes is uh, difficult. <laughs> so um, no, no, what? <laughs> I can't imagine what you're talking about. <laughs> I think people just need to understand that this is the reality of a lot of us, um, and for us, it has never stopped. You know, and that's part of part of my activism. I think in the in our brief, you called it activism, and and I, I sometimes don't feel super comfortable with the word, and I don't know why because you're probably right, but um, I think. Well, I think what I do on Twitter is uh, reflective of what I feel as a creator. So I had my first GDC microtalk um, last year, which was about exactly that. So um, the idea that uh, to improve the relationship between creators and and consumers or, or uh, audiences, we need to talk more. <laughs> so um, I feel like for the majority of time before indie dev was a, was a thing, uh, game development has been a little bit like this black box like how are games even made Pff, who knows i played games my entire life and i didn't know for until i actually studied you know i, I didn't know shit about that <laughs> and i think most people don't know shit about how games are made and um it's really difficult from the outside to then judge or or <clears throat> have an understanding of why decisions are made the way they are made and given that people are so so um into games and really uh, enthusiastic about it that can lead to issues. So uh, part of my my vision for what my life as a creator needs to look like is I want to talk to people about what I do and I want to be really open about how that works and why we do things the way they do because I personally love it and I think it's super interesting and it's the best thing I ever do and I don't know how to do anything else, frankly. So <laughs> I want to share that and I think that's really beneficial for my own craft and for the people who want to play that craft it's it's a conversation like i can't i can't create without my audiences and vice versa like it's we're inseparable you know yeah well well at least from me personally thank you for 
for being so vocal in that space. That's really nice of you. <laughs> it means a lot. Today we're talking about um, empowerment, and this is a topic that you had picked. I was curious, why why this? Like, why was this something that you wanted to talk about on this podcast? Yeah, um, whew, it's the first time that uh, we ever had, like, I ever had a, a topic at all on a podcast. So um, I think empowerment is maybe a little bit of an amalgamation of several topics that I'm interested in. Like, I think we also talked about, okay, what, what if we talk about difficulty and so on? But um, I feel like difficulty and, and um, uh, you know, engagement theory and everything I care about in uh, in game design theory and what I talk about a lot on my Twitter account too when I talk about game design is about empowerment. So I feel like it's at the the heart of, of, of my personal craft um, of, of game design in general. So uh, it, it's a topic that's really rich things that we can probably talk about about it for hours so <laughs> it's gonna be interesting to put it in in a short version I, I i'm excited to dive into it but we typically start off with a little bit of history jared what is the the history of this topic in video games yeah real another real easy one to to peg down thanks steve um i mean empowerment's been around for as long as video games have been around there's a game called tennis for two that came out in 1958 it was designed by william Higginbottom for display at the Brooklyn National Laboratory uh, annual public exhibition. And a lot of people consider this one of the first video games. The game ran on the Donner Model 30 and displayed on an oscilloscope monitor. So two players competed in a game of tennis viewed in profile on the screen. And that was probably the first time you had a graphical representation of anything to be able to interact with. Yeah, and not, not like puzzle-based, but an actual representation of something that exists in the world. So why are we saying this is an example of empowerment, this game specifically? I don't know. It's, empowerment's one of those things that I think is a little bit hard to pin down. Um, I think this game represents a sport that requires skill and technique, athleticism, things like that. So by compressing that into an idea of you know an interactive art form, I think that that is in some way could be considered empowerment. I don't know. What do you? I mean, what do you think, Jared? Does does this count as empowerment in a video game? Uh, I mean, it's kind of an intangible topic, right? It's not something. It's not a genre of video game. It's not really a mechanic necessarily. It just sort of exists across all games. Even if we bring it into a modern context, does a game like Madden represent um, empowering a player? Uh, yeah, I think. I think. Um... I'm with you on this one, Jared, because I think empowerment as as a concept is part of gaming or games in general as an intrinsic concept. Overall, I would say it, in the context of games, it just means that you empower uh, people who engage with with that medium to uh, to make decisions within a game context. And what kind of decisions those are, you know, is is up to the player. And that can be as simple as you know teaming up with someone else and playing tennis for two where you need to make decisions on, you know, where do I go and how fast do I go? And, you know, these are very simplistic ones and they can uh, they can ramp up later when we talk about other more complex decision-making empowerment <laughs> scenarios. But, yeah, I think empowerment is just intrinsic to what games are and what gaming means because it's an interactive medium, right? Well, I'm, I'm interested because when you talk about empowerment, you talk about it from a decision-making standpoint. So this might be actually a good time for us to define 
what it is that we're talking about when we talk about empowerment. Because when I when I think about empowerment, I think about empowerment coming from a narrative standpoint. I think about uh, you know a, a a player of you know someone playing a video game holding a gun and shooting an alien as sort of like the you know the example of what it means to be empowered in a video game and i and i'm thinking about it from that narrative standpoint of like you are the savior of the galaxy now go play the game but you're you're talking about it more sounds like from a decision making standpoint so can you maybe define a little bit further what it is you're talking about jenny yeah sure i think um i think i'm taking the term empowerment from from other areas of when we talk about empowerment uh I don't know if this is a good example, but um, feminism, for example, right? Feminism is all about is all about choice. Um, when you say when we say we empower a certain group of people, we give them uh, the choice to do with their lives whatever they like, and we don't restrict them because that's the the opposite of empowerment. It's it's oppression, right? Um, and if you if you view video games through the same lens, then or through a similar lens, then empowerment means that. You give a person within a virtual environment that is interactive the tools to uh, make decisions within that environment and feel empowered through those tools. And I think what we need to talk about today, and I think that's an interesting part, is is empowerment the same thing as a power fantasy, or is empowerment something entirely different? Because we, I know, we will also hopefully talk about um, genres that are specifically designed to take empowerment away from people to even function. Such as horror. Yeah. Now, Jared, when when you think about empowerment, what what jumps to your mind? Is it in line? Is it more in line like what I'm talking about, or more in line with what Jenny's talking about, or some uh, some conglomeration of the two? Yeah, I think a conglomeration. That's a good word for it. Um, <laughs> I actually don't know if that's a good word for it. I just threw that one out there. <laughs> it was it was on my word of the day calendar. I figured I had to use it sometime. <laughs> yeah. I I think I think you both are right. I th- I don't think that. Uh, there's any one specific definition that, you know, that we're going to, I think we should attack it from both sides, honestly, because when I think about empowerment in games, um, I, I, I think I've spoken about Wolfenstein 2 across like three podcasts now because it's I'm taking me forever to get through it. But um, being able to be that character and do the things that, that BJ Blazkowicz does um, I think empowerment is at the core of that. Like you want to be that crazy badass American killing all the Nazis. So without that, I don't know that that would be a, even a game anymore. So uh, it's it's a weird, it's kind of a weird topic to define. Um, but yes, I, I think that you are both in the going in the right direction. Have you have you ever? I'm curious. Like, have you ever been or felt empowered in a game that is not about that has no violence components? Like a narrative game like Edith Finch or like have you ever felt empowered in any of these games or do you only feel empowered in games that have some degree of uh, of violence attached to it? Well, so for me, thinking about a game that's like non-violent but definitely made me feel powerful, I think of a game like Portal where being able to solve those those puzzles gave me sort of that... um, I don't know what to call it, like that that endorphin rush of like, yeah, I did something really cool, um, but that didn't involve, you know, necessarily destroying something to accomplish that goal. Um, 
But I think this this is where I think the conversation starts to slip a little bit into talking more about the the idea of power fantasy or or male power fantasy and and how that relates to empowerment in video games. Mm. Yeah, I think I think that's that's um, part of a definition because um, when we when we talk empowerment, we need to see if that's like do we mean empowerment or do we mean power power fantasies because in my like in my books on from a game design perspective those are two, two different things yeah i think that's i think it's good to for us to start to uh decouple those things then mm. if if you see them as as separate issues um yeah i, I think you know i I'd, I'd love to hear why that is uh yeah i I'm, I'm sure this is this is um this is more just a question of of game design theory right because um, I can craft empowerment in all kinds of different ways from a game designer's view. And one of those ways would be uh, a power fantasy where we actually empower the character to be the hero, like the hero's journey, the um, the holding the key to this, the, to save the world as the only person ever, which, you know, is not a very realistic scenario overall. But um, in my books, at least, not the only way of empowering a player so power fantasy is sort of a one aspect of empowerment like it's one way to empower a player but there's there's more that don't rely on those same tropes am i am i following exactly, along correctly exactly like i would argue that um uh, a game where you're overcoming uh, trauma for example could also be be an empowerment story uh, has anyone of you played hellblade center of sacrifice yeah, the Ninja yeah, Theory game. A couple months ago, I love I love Hellblade a lot, and um, like to me, Hellblade is an empowerment story. It's an empowerment story for Senua, the main character, because she is overcoming trauma and she's overcoming her personal demons, right? And it is a game that includes violence, but you're it's like she's not supposed to be, and like she's a troubled character, right? She she is she's struggling. She's constantly struggling, and I know that the game designers of of Hellblade um, specifically designed it to be that way. It's a it's a story about empowerment, but a different kind of empowerment that is not the hero's journey. So when we're when we're talking about empowerment, why is it important to gaming? Like, what is it about empowerment that makes like why does it seem so inherent to to gaming that the player needs to feel empowered in different ways? Uh, I think it is inherent to gaming because gaming or games are an, an interactive medium, right? We're, as opposed to film, for example, we're not just sitting here uh, having a, a concept or an idea or a story just like dazzled upon us. We we are active in the story and um, because we are active in the story, we by default, no matter how... Um, how story-based or how mechanics-based the game is, we make ch- we make choices, we make decisions at, at any stage of time. Like choices does not don't don't always have to be um, uh, story or narrative choices. They can be, oh, do I go left or right in this um, like in this combat situation, or do I shoot this person before the other person, or whatever it is, right? So choices are as a more broad term in um, in a game environment, right? So uh, I don't think it can live without empowerment or without the the idea of, of of choices that I initially said what empowerment is in the game design theory uh, environment. Essentially, as soon as something is interactive, empowerment is something that you can't really take away from games, in my point of view. 
when we started to talk about decoupling power fantasy from empowerment, um, for some reason, one game came to my mind just now, and it's uh, Brother, A Tale of Two Sons. Mm. <laughs> and for people who aren't familiar with that game, um, you play as two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother. And the game starts out, the mother has died, uh, she like drowned at sea, uh, no one was able to save her, and that ends up being a common theme that comes back to them um, you know, as a traumatic event. And at the beginning of the game, the, the their father is now sick. And so you are sent out on a journey across the, the island or the land that they live in. And you control each brother independently with, you know, the, the two analog sticks. And I think that's a really cool way uh, of implementing empowerment in games where you're discovering these mechanics very organically. Uh, there's not, it's not necessarily that power fantasy that we were talking about because you're kind of learning the relationship between the two brothers while also learning the rules of the game um, through solving puzzles. You know, each each brother has their own strengths and weaknesses. And uh, it, it, that coupled with, it had some fantastic, from, uh, some fantastically composed music. It felt, you know, there's very much high peaks of that game where the music would swell and you would solve a thing and it did feel like you were accomplishing quite a bit. Um, you know, as you reach the climax of that game. Love. I love Brothers. Well, it's a great game. I wanted to, I guess this might be a good time to bring this up. There was an article written by a friend of the show, Jamie Madigan, uh, called Psychology of Shooters. It was featured in GamePro issue 267, but um, quick quote from it. He said, Reach researchers Andrew... Perzibilski and Scott Rigby. I'm just going to assume that's how his name yeah, is said. That was pretty good. We are knocking. Surprised. We are knocking. <laughs> okay, good. We are knocking it out of the park with pronouncing people's names today, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> but he said uh, these researchers who work with game designers believe people are motivated by are motivated to play a particular video game based on how well it satif- satisfies three basic psychological needs: competence, autonomy, and relatedness. And I think that this might actually be a really good way for us to. I guess, break down empowerment to its most fundamental levels. When it's talking about competence, it's talking about your capabilities as a player and also the capabilities of the player character, being able to see growth in those areas, being able to see yourself get better, or be able to see your character become stronger. Uh, autonomy is is like what Jennifer was talking about, where it's about choice, about being able to make choices and have those choices have certain payoffs. And then relatedness, I think, is another thing that is important to our discussion of empowerment is is relatedness is like um, like a score, essentially. It's like being able to show off your accomplishment. So even if it's not necessarily like a multiplayer game, but being able to show progress through a, a game that that's relatedness or if it is an online game, being able to show off, you know, what what level you are or um, how much experience you have in, in, in that way. And I think that that's at least sort of the things that we're discussing. These seem like good sort of fundamental building blocks in this discussion of empowerment. Does that seem like like a, a, a good way to cover this, Jenny? Or are there things that this assumes or are there things that, that this leaves out? Yeah, I thought it was really interesting to break it down to competence, uh, competency, autonomy, and relatedness because... Um, I can think of of several games for each and every one of these three where that's not true anymore, right? Um, But I still think, like, I don't think it's wrong. I just think it's interesting that 
um, it's so difficult to actually break it down because um, like for me, for example, relatedness is something that's super important to me, but I like the majority of games that I play, the characters are not necessarily super relatable. Like also because, you know, most of them are grizzled white dudes and I'm not. So <laughs> it's harder to relate to them. <laughs> but um, I, I'm... I'm always really interested in, in what relatedness means. And, uh, you know, we have games now that are completely outside of what related, relatedness means when we play entirely non-human characters or um, we play no characters at all. So how do we even measure relation or our relation to, to a game? Like, do you feel, feel relatedness to playing a civilization game because you don't have a character do you need a character to feel related to to even uh, satisfy those needs it's yeah i don't know it's, it's complicated <laughs> yeah it definitely is complicated and again i just want to stress that this was in relation specifically to talking about first person shooters right. i think that that all of these in balance i think might be important to first person shooters but yeah i mean as we as we discuss empowerment i think we will definitely find that that some games that break away from the the traditional methods of empowering players will definitely lean more heavily on one of these than the other. Um, I just thought that this was maybe like a good foundation for this discussion is like it, we can kind of use this as the framework to then move forward and, and, and say like, Oh, you know, uh, portal is all about, um, you know, competency and autonomy it doesn't really necessarily relate you to your character um so much but it is about being able to make choices on where you put your portals and then solving the puzzles you know i i just sort of brought it up so that we could maybe have these these little building blocks to then um you know, relate back to as we're continuing forward in our conversation yeah absolutely like let me ask you guys this do you feel like there are certain genres of games that lend themselves so that empowerment is more important to certain genres than others definitely definitely like there there are like i don't think you you can at least in the current climate um of of video game audiences bring out um a game that doesn't hit these marks in certain genres like there are genres that where players have expectations as to what uh, you deliver as a as a creator right um for example first person shooters um it's a it's a difficult thing to for example make uh, you know a, a world war first person shooter without making it at least to a degree a power fantasy because that's why people play those genres there's a whole other discussion that we should have about genres at some point. Uh, you should actually invite uh, John Kane for that topic because it's amazing and he loves ranting about this with me. Because <laughs> they're so inadequate as genres. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I would love to reach out to oh, him. Oh, please we, do. We referenced, we referenced um, I forget, it was in our last episode. Uh, we were talking about accessibility and he did a, a panel uh, about uh, ethical interface design. Um, and I'd reached out to him to make sure it was okay that I had spoken about the, the talk that he had given, but yeah, that I mean, was a Jacob, I, would, right? I would love to reach out to him at some point and talk with him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's great. Uh, he would love to rant at you about the inadequacy of <laughs> genres. <laughs> Anyways. So yeah, I think, I think that's totally true. And, um, there are some genres where you can't get away with it, not because you can't make it so, but because your audience will expect it from you. Um, however, 
I, I love that whenever we talk about empowerment, as soon as you look at horror, it all falls apart because <laughs> horror is the subversion of all of it. Like horror is the subversion of um, of competency, autonomy and relatedness in, in most cases and empowerment overall, because for you to feel scared in a horror game, you need to feel disempowered and you need to feel like uh, overpowered and you need to feel like you're, you're to a degree hope, hopeless or uh, yeah, with very little choice. Even in horror video games, even if we're talking about a game like Outlast, which uh, we've talked about a couple of times recently, where your character has almost no way to interact with the world besides running away and hiding, I think that there is still quite a bit of empowerment going on. But yeah, it's not through those traditional means that we would think of, um, at least when we're looking at the, the power fantasy side of empowerment in this discussion. I would like I would like to to hear more of why why you think that like again maybe this is me being being a game designer but um like one of the the core principles of making horror games is is disempowerment because like why are people afraid like what makes people scared right maybe people being scared means um they feel like they don't have control over a situation or they have very little means to deal with the situation or they don't know much about a the situation these are things that make us be af afraid like in real life in general, we're anxious. Yeah. So uh, horror games lean very heavily on these feelings. Or... Well, so for my part in horror games, um, and we talked, we, we recently did an episode about uh, the horror genre in video games, but I don't find horror video games scary. <laughs> um, and that might just be me personally. But I also think that this, this term disempowerment is a relative term. When we talk about disempowerment in horror video games, I think what we're talking about is you're less, you feel less empowered than you would in uh, another third-person shooter game. From a narrative standpoint, your character is given less tools than they would be in, say, like Max Payne, a game where you solve all of your, you know, all of your problems with bullets. But I think that in those games, there's still these elements of empowerment that exist you're still i mean speaking specifically about outlast you're from a narrative standpoint your character is an investigator and then from a mechanic standpoint you have these the choice of like where to hide when to engage the enemy your character seems to be exceptionally skilled at hiding inside of lockers and under beds to avoid detection. So I think there are still elements of empowerment that exist in those games. And I think the term disempowerment is more like a comparison to other games in similar genres, if that makes sense. Well, while we're still talking about horror, I think that the game, I guess it's a game that no longer is, but PT is the ultimate disempowered experience as far as video games are concerned you don't have control over the route you take you don't really have a whole lot of decisions to make all you can do is walk in circles in a never-ending hallway and you're never really quite sure what you're supposed to be doing um, and I think that you have very little power to affect anything in that game and that's probably why I felt that game was so unnerving and so scary yeah, I think um, I think this is a really interesting discussion because uh, it's about two things in in my mind. So um, I like that you 
that you've made the made the comparison here again with empowerment being about choices because yes of course um you have choices to make when you're uh, when you're playing a video game that's that's why we said before or why we landed on the idea that empowerment is to agree to degree part of any interactive medium especially video games but um i think the disempowerment uh, part of what horror games or what makes horror games scary is more uh, like a psychological disempowerment kind of thing like ultimately of course the the point of of almost every horror game or every every video game is to overcome whatever is happening right uh, if that's mm-hmm. overcoming whatever getting away from a crazy ass you know monster or whatever i'm just thinking amnesia i'm terrified of amnesia like proper terrified <laughs> <laughs> um but like the the psychological drivers of amnesia for example is uh, to feel disempowered and to feel like to feel the real effects of disempowerment that causes anxiety in in humans when you're talking about um this term disempowerment and i'll put quotes around the word disempowerment are you talking about the stripping away of the power fantasy is that a good way to look at this idea of disempowerment is like all of the other elements of empowerment are going to still exist we're just stripping away the power fantasy elements of empowerment is that what disempowerment means yeah i think that's that's at least a really close close to true uh, definition of it i think you know most okay. most horror games rely on on stripping out the elements that we usually put in games that are about power fantasies um but you know again i can think of i can think of examples where that's not true resident evil is is a really scary horror game at least the early ones i'm not sure how you feel about the more recent ones but um you know jared jared how was how was number seven (laughs) number seven it was was great i've gushed about that game many times (laughs) maybe you should try that game does really take a weird turn it uh i mean not really spoilers but you do eventually end up becoming extremely empowered towards the end of that game and that takes a little bit of the tension away uh and the tone i think shifts dramatically when that happens but i know what you're saying yeah exactly so i I feel like that's that's almost it's almost a trope in in the design of of at least all the resident evils that i played and i haven't picked it up for a long time now but um it starts out with with you you know being very uncertain with very little uh things that is that are given to you like you always struggle with ammo you always struggle with where the fuck am i and what is even happening and we we have to uncover things to slowly get more empowered over time in in resident evil games i feel like it's almost uh, almost a theme within resident evil games i don't know if if you feel the same yeah i do and and um i guess we can kind of jump into this here a little bit because i think that Empowerment is interesting because when we talk about empowerment from like a mechanical standpoint, it it seems almost like a an illusion created by the narrative of the game, if that makes sense. Because if, if you're talking about Resident Evil, you start out feeling a certain sense of disempowerment because there's a lot of unknowns. And then over the course of the game, you're amassing weapons and ammunition and ways to combat the world. I think that if you look at a game like Resident Evil, at the start of that game and at the end of that game, the challenge remains pretty like it like plateaus the whole way through, right? Because at the start you're given a knife and a pistol, 
and the only thing you face is a slow moving zombie. And at the end of that game, you're given a rocket launcher and a, a machine gun and you're fighting like the big baddies. And, and I think that, you know, your capability of killing them is exactly the same as it was at the beginning of the game, but you're given the illusion of becoming more powerful over the course of that game, even though the practical applications of that power have essentially stayed exactly the same. Yes. Um, oh God, I would love I, to talk like for about five hours about this on top of this. Okay. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, my, my other pet peeve, apart from empowerment in video games, is talking about um, the illusion that game designers create for gamers. <laughs> Probably the only other big twitter thing i people know me for is that it's talking about the hidden magic of game design which i'm going to have a gdc talk about actually next year and i'm very excited about that so essentially like um uh, the theory behind that in a nutshell is a lot of the things that we that gives game designers make players feel when they play games is um is crafted like handcrafted by designers and they're all illusions but uh, it doesn't matter for for the feeling because um, you will still feel it as if it was real. That's what games are. <laughs> Illusions. Can you guys think of any examples of games where you start out super powerful and then as you progress through the game, you get less powerful? No. <laughs> I, I can... So in um, The Binding of Isaac, another Edmund McMillan game, um, there is a challenge mode in that one where you start out at the end of the game completely empowered and then you play through it backwards and each each level you complete it strips something away mm. that's what that's what instantly jumps to my mind but again it's the same it's the same idea I was just kind of talking about where you're going backwards through the game so the game is getting easier as you're getting as you're getting less powerful mm. I don't know if that completely satisfies um, your question Jared I just think it's, it would be an interesting idea, and I can't think of any examples off the top of my head um, where you, you start to get, you know, I would like to see a game where you start fresh and you have all the resources in the world <laughs> and slowly over time uh, you lose access to those and have to end up getting more creative in the ways that you, that you approach your objectives. Um, well, I just haven't I seen anything of, like that. I think of, and I didn't play the game, so I'm not sure if exactly how it plays out, but um, Metal Gear Solid 4, isn't snake like progressively getting sicker and sicker in that game kind of yeah does it play out in in mechanical ways or is it just strictly a narrative uh, like a narrative device well there are things where like he'll he'll cough and alert guards to his presence or he like his back starts to go out so he you know he'll stop and flinch while mid run or sneak or something like that so i mean that's it's getting close I think, you know, a situation of this hypothetical game that I'm making up in my head right now, it would be kind of, it'd be interesting to see in a survival setting, you know, like you crash a plane on an island and it's like, oh, good, I, all of these things washed ashore and you slowly run out of food, you don't have batteries for flashlights. <laughs> um, I would like to see something kind of work backwards like that where you kind of have to get more resourceful and think about how you play the game differently uh, as as that sense of empowerment slowly gets taken away from you. That's a really interesting point. I, I'm I'm a massive fan of survival games. I, it's probably the main genre that I play um, at the moment. I don't think there's any major survival game on Steam that I haven't played at the moment. <laughs> so um, there's a lot. What's your, what, 
I'm curious. What's your favorite? Just uh, oh, just out shit. of curiosity, it doesn't That's have so to relate hard. to this topic necessarily, but uh, I don't know. Um, they all have elements to it that I would single out as favorite. The one that I've probably played the most is Seven Days to Die, and that I still think about even though I'm not playing it that much anymore. Um, I love Seven Days to Die. It's a great game. It's really really fun and weird. Um, yeah, so, I don't know. <laughs> I'm o- I'm always looking. For, I'm always looking for suggestions. Oh God, please I'm, talk I'm to me. To build a I'll, PC I'll yell at you about survival games forever if you like. <laughs> uh, we're <laughs> pretty big on, on playing uh, survival games and co-op, so that's mainly what I play. My partner. Um, Very cool. Yeah, the latest one is Stationers, which just came out uh, two days ago. <laughs> just uh it's and it was it's called what station station it's uh, like uh, sci-fi survival you should check it oh, out cool. yeah it's just just early access but yeah it's it's early access it's very early access but great early access <laughs> a lot of a lot of survival games that you find on steam that um are that you should try out are very early accessy games <laughs> making survival games is hard man it's so much but uh, okay to go back to what we're actually talking about uh, i think um sorry <laughs> one of us has to keep us on track <laughs> thank you for doing it no 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 you're making my job easier i appreciate it <laughs> um yeah i, I think it would be a really interesting point uh or interesting game to play a survival game where you like the you're kind of creeping towards the inevitable death i guess <laughs> But um, it would be interesting because I think every single survival game I've ever played is uh, has progression at its core. Like it's almost like its core gameplay loop. Eventually, to survive, like just the survival part is just the the driver for the progression part of the game, where you just have to, you know, figure out how to um, set up systems more and more to uh, to survive longer. But um, I think what's closest to what you're trying to achieve here would be project zomboid where uh over time your resources just run out you like you will eventually die the game you can't survive it <laughs> did you play project zomboid yes i have i'm curious what you did right at the start of that game uh what do you mean <laughs> well at the start of that game at least so i i played project be zomboid terrified. Like, a long time ago and i and one of the first decisions you're given in that game is to save your wife. And I don't and I don't know if that's still the way it is because oh, I haven't played it in a very no. long time. But then there was like there was like that early option to like smother with pillow. And I was curious. Oh, wow. I was curious. Like, <laughs> holy shit. No, that's not the way it is anymore. At least like I only played okay. a co-op. Maybe that changes things. But no, you don't have it to smother your does. wife with a, pil- with a pillow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just says. And again, like I, I was actually almost one hundred percent certain they had changed it, but I wasn't sure how long ago you had been, how, how long ago you had gotten into the game, because it's that's one of those games where I was like, oh man, this oh, is man. how you start this out, is like with this tough, like this crazy decision, because that was like the the point of that game, right? Was like it's all about the amount of resources that yeah. you can maintain and for how long. Yeah. And there's there's a quick and easy way to make sure that you retain a lot of those resources, and it happens to be through like a pretty heinous act. <laughs> Oh, um, there's another one that just comes to mind. Oh, shit. What was it called? Yes. This War of Mine. War of oh, Mine. yeah. Found one. This War of Mine, German yeah, game that, developer. Yeah, that's a really good example, actually. Um, which is, I don't think I've ever won this game. I don't think I've ever actually made it through. Where you're trying it's to like, survive 
through um through yeah essentially the world of war but you're just trying to survive as survivors in within the city and uh you start out with yeah decent amount of resources but they just run out over time they just run out and you have to make really difficult decisions of you know at the beginning of the game you don't you, you the decision of whether or not you might want to raid that old couple's home is not in question but over time you run out of resources and you have to make hard decisions on whether hmm. or not you're willing maybe to sacrifice I, others for your own survival. Maybe I take back everything I said about doing the the, the empowerment thing backwards because every <laughs> time I play this war of mine, I just like come away from it like, man, now I'm feel sad. Like a, like a worse person. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm just like sad. Like, man, I, I made some real messed up decisions <laughs> yes. and uh, everyone still died anyways. So. Oh my God, yes. That was that was me playing this war of mine too. It just makes you miserable. <laughs> like in the best. <laughs> it's it's really it's really an interesting, I think, study of... of, of game psychology because mm. there's not a whole lot of other examples obviously that we can think of right now yeah. so that was yeah that's that's a good concrete way mm. um I, i'm curious how does empowerment factor into vr games <laughs> yes good one um <laughs> that's a really interesting one because all of a sudden you have so many more tools available to you because your your player has a physical body that feels like their body you know it's it's a lot more intense compared to non-VR games um, because, you know, there are things that are incredibly confronting in VR because you're, you have a physical presence that feels like your own body. And um, you, you may feel really connected to a character in a regular, uh, even first-person game without VR, and that's cool, and you, you feel a lot of emotions towards that or for that for that character but nothing is as as close to your physical presence as we are at the moment so i feel um empowerment and disempowerment is is amplified so you think you think it's it's even more important so if you take empowerment if if you disempower somebody in vr can you even do that in a way that doesn't immediately like make people want to vomit like I, <laughs> when i think of like disempowering someone in vr i think about taking away camera control and like mm-hmm. that would be super bad yes don't ever do that please cuz that makes people literally vomit <laughs> um yeah but there's obviously other ways that you can you can disempower people in vr uh you know making it dark making sure that uh, people again don't know what things are about like horror games in vr are super confounding have you tried anything horror in vr yet Uh, i did the uh playstation like deep sea experience in the playstation vr where the shark attacks the the shark cage Mm. and like that's it's uh it's it's quite startling Mm. It, it it starts to like really reach into those um animalistics like <laughs> sensation of like really being in that in that situation in a way that like other video games don't yeah all of a sudden your brain amygdala is all part of it <laughs> um yeah so i th- i think all of a sudden the the most interesting tool that is available to you on top of what is usually available to you as a game designer is that you have the physical aspect of it and that um that can be really great and you can do really interesting things with it or it can really destroy someone. So uh, there's a lot of discussion among VR developers about, you know, the ethics of that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's a very fine line that you have to take into consideration over, you know, traditional video game development. Yes, yes, very, very much. And um, like 
that that extends beyond the the player character and the player body and to NPC bodies and NPC characters. Like for example, when you put people in VR and they have hands, all of a sudden they are a lot more forthcoming with how they interact with NPCs, for example, because you know humans are curious and humans just do really weird things when you let them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, you know, everyone you put in VR and there's a NPC character and no matter how serious the thing is, people will try to, you know, be really touchy-feely with that character because you can. Yeah, you poke him in the nose because <laughs> you're going to boop him on the nose. <laughs> well, that's the G-rated version of what people do, I'm assuming. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, there was that whole Final Fantasy... You go. That Final Fantasy VR thing that they did and, they, like, the first thing that anybody did was, like, try to look down the, the uh, Sid's shirt and that. It's like... Man, people yeah, are gross. People are gross. <laughs> it's it's Doing actually in really public. interesting to take into into consideration um, because people do really strange things when you when you when they have the ability all of a sudden. And um, there's a game, for example, uh, on Oculus called Lone Echo, where you very heavily interact with one specific like sidekick uh, main character that is with you all the time. And I thought it was really interesting what they did. Uh, that character was female, and you were a robot, and um, like even myself and I, you know, even myself, I, I felt really icky and, and tried to to see how far I can push it with with that character because I know it's not a real character. So um, if you actually try and touch her in a way that would be uncomfortable or just not okay in a social context, she literally kicks you away. Like she she kicks <laughs> you <laughs> off, and she she yeah. uh, she has reactions like bodily reactions and consent reactions to that, which I think is really important because all of a sudden you know you. You give your player a, a body that is entirely autonomous, and your NPCs are subject to that. <laughs> so you have to design for a whole bunch of other scenarios all of a sudden that you didn't have to before. But on, on the other hand, that's empowerment. Like all of a sudden, you can do things that were not possible before. You mentioned the ethics of of some of these things, uh, especially in the VR world, and uh, I immediately started thinking about there's a episode of Black Mirror where a guy is put into like basically a, a cabin. They're told he's told that he's like testing a new video game or something like that. And uh, VR is a part of it. And, you know, if you know anything about Black Mirror, things it. quickly go wrong. <laughs> and um, like psychologically, you know, it, it ends up like breaking him down like beat by beat. And I'm wondering if that i mean that seems like it has a basis in reality i i know that people have been talking about creating you know post traumatic stress disorder or, or or triggering those kinds of things in vr so it does really seem like you kind of a whole nother beast when it comes to virtual reality and empowering or taking or disempowering because it could actually have uh, real real life effects on on players oh yeah exactly like um there's there's a whole bunch of talk talks among the VR community where we need to be super mindful of these things. And I think uh, one of the easiest way, ways of dealing with it are, are literal content warnings. So, um, you know, content warnings for all kinds of things, you know, really, uh, really intense close-up physical interaction with other characters, for example, because they can be very confronting. Um, just warning people so they know what to expect from a certain experience. Uh, jump scares where, you know... Uh, other like violence that happens to your character which you know you may not even know how, what what effects it may have on you <laughs> yeah um for example the 
I, I played I played uh, Skyrim in VR on the PSVR the other day, and I really really like that. Uh, I I never I was never able to get into VR. Um, uh, p- sorry, Skyrim, not VR. <laughs> so um, I was like, well, you have a problem yeah, then. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> yeah, no, I, like for years I've tried to get into Skyrim, and it just like forever gave me anxiety because you can you sometimes just get quests by just walking past someone who just yells about something at you and now you have a new quest and i just got total anxiety from too many quests <laughs> always oh i've 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 quit games because <laughs> i've opened the map and seen too many markers and I'll, <laughs> oh i just God, walk away yes. uh, looking at dragon you age ubisoft <laughs> yeah. yeah oh yeah, yeah. dragon age dragon age origins was one where i like <laughs> I walked into a bar and I think there were like 12 NPCs that had exclamation oh. points over their head and I turned the game off and I traded it back into GameStop. <laughs> yeah, if you like, want to listen to all that dialogue, like I tra- I tend to do, man, that's like an hour and a half of just like listening to people tell you the backstory of a fetch quest. So, yeah. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to cut okay. you off on your Skyrim. <laughs> so, I think Skyrim is a really interesting example for sh- for talking about why, is, why VR can be really awesome when it comes to empowering and really confronting as well. Because um, I I love it in VR. It's amazing in VR. It it actually gets me to what to how you need to play Skyrim, which is like with some sort of role playing aspect. You can't do everything. Just do what you feel like or what your character would feel like, and it just helps me get into that because I all of a sudden have a body, like not a real body, because you don't actually have a physical body in Skyrim VR, which is the only thing that's sad about it. But it feels like you're there. And it helps me uh, get into the role-playing aspect of it a little bit more. And um, at the same time, you have, like, I love playing with bow and arrow in it because it's so cool to just just stand in my living room and literally just make the, the physical movements of, you know, shooting several people on several heights and levels. And it's awesome. And uh, you feel like fucking Legolas. And it's great. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> but then again, you have situations where you fight a giant spider that comes from the ceiling or jumps at you from behind and it's terrifying like it's so physically confronting that you just want to rip it off your face because you know it literally jumps into your face and it's yeah it's gonna be a no for me (laughs) (laughs) yeah not doing that (laughs) well and i i kind of want to bring this back around a little bit to um when we when we settled on this topic one of the things that you had mentioned that you were interested in was how empowerment relates to emotional engagement. And it sounds like we're kind of bumping into that here as we're talking about VR. And I'm curious in what ways empowerment relates to how you're emotionally engaged to the game. Cause it sounds like in VR, it's able to sort of like viscerally engage you on like those emotional levels, but outside of VR, what, you know, what are the ways that empowerment emotionally engages a player? Yeah, I think um, that's a really personal question. Like personal, as in every single player has different preferences for what they think is uh, engaging or you know empowering to them at the same time. So um, that's why we have genres, and that's why we have different kinds of experiences, which is why why that's cool, right? Um, and not every game has to be for every person, and so on and so on and so on. Yeah, 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 yeah. But so. So when someone says, I play games to feel empowered, do you think that's what they mean? Like, like we all, do you think everybody plays games to feel empowered, but our sense of empowerment is different and that's why people have different preferences for games? Yeah, I think so. I I think that's an entirely um, accurate representation of why people play games. Like, they want to feel something or be engaged in something that... uh, 
that makes them feel good and empowerment makes you feel good and what that empowerment looks like is a really personal question for everyone right so i for example um to just cycle back to what we said before i love one of my favorite games of this year is uh, what reminds of edith finch and i to me it was an engaging and empowering experience because um i was able to to just deep dive into this this really strange mystery of the characters in this game and i i like i felt empowered due to being able to be so close to these characters but it it's not a classic power fantasy by a long shot obviously because i you know my my involvement in even the the choices of the characters that um, that are represented or uh how the story goes are very very limited anyone else who played edith finch yes i did the extra life uh, game day 24-hour marathon and that was kind of the game that i saved for the end of it and i man i, I was like so towards the end of that 24-hour stream i was getting real tired <laughs> you know pretty much everyone had gone to bed who was who was hanging out with me so i you know well, put I that long, on i was long gone yeah I, I put that on and it really like that that was like i was engaged from the very first second i stepped in that house mm um when it's basically this big empty house but you learn about all of these people i never felt like uh i never felt lost like i didn't know where to go uh man that, that was such a great experience and when i ended my stream on that that game i felt i was like man that was the right way to do it yeah and i, well, I really keep coming back in my mind to it too like it's it's been several months now that i played it and i keep coming back to it and i i felt so I think the the sense of empowerment I got from Edith Finch was I felt so um, so privileged to to uncover this story and this very personal story about these these people and that is like almost fantastical and even though the only thing it allows you to do is to listen to the story and to replay uh, in an interactive manner how uh, how they die. <laughs> There's no choice yeah. actually actually in the game of influencing how it goes. And yet I felt so privileged to, um, to, to uh, yeah, to listen to their story. And it, it was such a beautiful and amazing game. Also a masterclass in level design, by the way. So, yeah, never feeling lost in, in a really messy house it was amazing. <laughs> so uh, the game that I guess I would bring up as sort of the, the counter example to the Call of Duty method of empowering a player is a game that I'm sure everyone, including Jared, is tired of hearing me talk about, which is uh, Proteus. Uh. Okay. <laughs> Shut up over there, Jared. <laughs> I think you got to tell me more about it because I don't know what that is. So Proteus is a, a game made by Ed Key, and the premise is that you are dropped onto an island that is procedurally generated every time you start the game up. And the only way that you interact with the world is by just walking around this island. And it's, it's very stylized. It's, it's, people say it looks like 8-bit. It's actually like a 3D world, but it, it is like real low-res, low-poly world that you're walking around in. And as you move around the world, uh, there's this sort of constant soundtrack that's going on, and it's affected by if you're standing on a beach or if you're standing in a forest and um, there's little things you can interact with in the world by getting near them. So there's like a swarm of bees that will chase you if you get near them and you hear their 
buzzing sound effect or rabbits and frogs that will jump away from you and make, you know, springing sounds as they as they leap away. And you can't do anything. It's not like you can capture these things. There's not really I, I don't want to say there's no point to the game because I think it tells a, a There's very, no point to the game. No. <laughs> I, I think that I think there's actually a really great point to the game. Um, it tells a very good story, but it does it by stripping away so many of the the tools that I think we consider when we talk about empowerment to basically just the the only thing that you can do is just move around and listen to this world. So that's that's why I, I, I won't I won't spend too much longer on it again. Everyone's everyone's heard me you know talk about this game several times, but it's just the, it's the one that when we first started talking about uh, the idea of empowerment and what some good counterexamples would be like, that's the one that instantly came to my mind. And I know Jared, when we talked, when we brought up this topic, that was the first thing that jumped to his mind for what I was going to bring up. <laughs> I'm also curious um, how this idea of power fantasy affects us outside of gaming, o- outside of the actual games that we we play are there any effects that the constant exposure to power fantasy has on the gaming space jenny you're putting me on the spot with like the question ever right (laughs) (laughs) um okay so i think (laughs) uh, i'm I'm trying to figure out how to answer this because it's complicated to answer um i mean obviously hugely complicated let me let me go let me start with this um (laughs) Steve, can you can you say the question? Can you ask the question again? Are there ways that power fantasy affects us outside of uh, the video game itself, but in in the real world? Well, you know, Call of Duty is one of those games that that blew up and has become part of our our culture. It's it's kind of exited the niche group of, of people who are video game players, and it's a mainstream thing. People know it by name. Even people who don't play video games know the name Call of Duty. And that's a pretty big power fantasy. You're you're mowing down countless numbers of enemies. Um, and around the same time that that game was getting popular with, with Modern Warfare, um, there's a series of games called America's Army. And while it's not as arcadey as Call of Duty, it uh, definitely is not super realistic. I wouldn't say it's a simulation, but it was a game made by the u.s army is basically a recruitment tool oh and yeah so you I have remember, people i remember get, this game dude yeah i remember this people interested in the army and and being in combat and then you, you know you use it as a tool to start recruiting people and i oh, hesitate I to say this because I've it's not the only when i was it's not the only conferences. purpose of it <laughs> what was that oh uh, you you would be so weirded out by what I've seen at Simulation Congresses, which is like ninety percent army, <laughs> and how they engage with games. Well, this game, and what this game for yeah, I, I know it all. Like it's it's even it's a million times worse than what you just said. <laughs> actually, oh, I don't know. It was it was really <laughs> weird because you would pick. You know, it was an online shooter, and you would go to select your your class. It'd be like, okay, I want to be a, a a sniper for this for this match, and it would have this big pop up on the screen. It's like Hey, you like sniper rifles? Come join the army, know, and you can be a sniper in real life. And it, and, and I'm pretty sure it even had like a button that would link you to their website yeah, yeah, to yeah. Uh, enroll and list right there. Like this yeah. is this was like insane 
American army oh, no, propaganda. I, I know it'll, and like... I think for the most part, people saw through it. But man, it was it was in your face and scummy. But it works. Like this is the weird part. It works. It it does work. Yeah, and I've I've, I've done this a couple of times on the podcast, and I'm I'm usually not this person. Is like think of the children, but. <laughs> Obviously, that's, I think, who they're targeting are, are kids who are coming of age where they would be making the decisions what they do after school. And they think that they would want to join the army or, you know, join a part of the military because they really enjoyed playing Call of Duty or they played America's Army. I mean, to be honest, America's Army didn't get super popular, but they're not showing everything else that's involved in warfare or the experience of being in the military so that's a very real consequence of video games affecting things in the in the real world definitely uh, yeah I, going to simulation congresses it it's it's a lot <laughs> like it's i th- i knew that that the army was very involved in video games and video game culture and uh, our communities but it's a lot more than that just that as well it's ooh, yeah it's special anyways um so I think I think the discussion that we need to have about this specific question is uh is one that needs to be very nuanced because um the idea is that of course video games like any media like anything we consume affects people in their real lives it would be it would be ridiculous to believe that that's not the case um the way we portray uh, certain situations and people and characters does affect the way we uh, we think about people in real life. Um, that's why representation matters, and that's why uh, representing uh, minorities matters, and that's why uh, making ca- characters that are relatable and, and not one-dimensional matters, and so on and so on and so on. I think the problem with that discussion is, and whenever we have it outside of the gaming sphere, is that people take it to the other extreme, and they uh, say, okay, you know, video games make people violent, which is you know we know that this is not true we know this is debunked we know that there is countless and countless and countless studies that say that this is not true but i hate that our discussion around this never evolves beyond that it's only like one thing or another which i think exactly is not very helpful (laughs) exactly and that's why i put in here in our show notes this uh general aggression theory general aggression theory in psychology is the idea that like if you show someone a violent image and then uh, expose them to stimuli afterwards, that they will, by and large, respond to that stimuli more violently. So the example would be like if you show someone a picture of a knife and you make them stare at a picture of a knife for half an hour. And then afterwards you ask, you you know, you give them a, a situation, you ask them like, you know, what what would you do if you encountered a mugger? Like the people are more likely to say like, oh, I would I would stab the mugger because they've just stared at a knife for half an hour. Yeah, but, but that doesn't flawed, mean that they're going to. What a flawed th- thing it is, isn't it? Like, I know. Like, I would be mad if you make me stare at a knife for half an hour. <laughs> just like, <Yeah. laughs> as a concept. I'm going to stab you. Yeah. <laughs> can I, can I it's like, home? It's boring. It's, it's, it's just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's a really but, flawed but that doesn't way mean... of doing this. <laughs> It is, but that's what's proven to play out in psychology is that, you know, in these situations, this person would be more likely to say like, oh, yeah, I would I would stab the mugger. Does that mean that person is going to go out and stab someone? No, not by a long shot. But it does show that these that these things like being exposed to um, to power fantasy in video games or being exposed to violence in video games or misogyny or all of these things 
doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to go out and recreate those things in real life, but it does have an effect on people. And I think it has a stronger effect on some people than others. So yeah, I, I think you're right, Jenny, in that we need to be careful and be nuanced and not say like, you know, constant exposure to this is going to cause people to be more aggressive. But I think it does rear its head from time to time, especially, I mean, so much of power fantasy is the, the male power fantasy. This, uh, the idea that the a man is acting on behalf of of women or is is trying to save a woman or, or any of those things, and I think you see that mirrored in video games. And we don't need to get into this into <laughs> this too deep because I mean we're all all of us here are familiar with like the horrible ways that that some dudes act in the video game space. Oh, yeah. But Indeed. <laughs> I think I think that that could partially be attributed to the repeated imagery of women being represented as weak in these power fantasies. Of course. Like like this is this is Oh god, this is going to get me get me in trouble again. I know it, but <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 I'm not used to that. But And we don't and again, I don't, you know, if if you don't want to talk about it, we don't we don't have no, to. Cool. I just wanted to make sure that, I, that we did I'll, talk I'll about I'll talk it a little bit about it and a segue into something nicer because I have like it, it's a nice segue into something I want to talk about anyways. <laughs> anyways, so yeah, it's it's true. Like we know that um society and society's uh, general rules are influenced by uh, by media and by advertisement and by um, by whatever we consume because uh, you know movies and books and video games and whatever you want to you want to uh, talk about are just reflections of um, of real life right so um, when when you have for example a video game industry that is predominantly male then you get a very one-sided view of society because that's how video games are made we are inspired by what we see in our everyday lives so um the same way feeds back so you if you see um, the same topics and imagery and and uh, thought patterns for example misogynistic views on women over and over and over again which is you know what we have for the majority of time for for games then that has an effect on people the same way that positive effects um, can be can come through through games as well so um for example in in earthlight right earthlight has one distinct um pillar of it that is specifically designed to get across a positive and beautiful mindset through the game um it's something that is recorded in real astronauts that have been to space and have seen Earth from low Earth orbit view, like, you know, seeing Earth as a whole. And it's called the overview effect. So the overview effect is a psychological state recorded in astronauts um, that makes them feel like on a really deep psychological level connected to all of humanity as a whole to see humans as a species instead of as a divided, as divided by countries, race or whatever it is. Um, so they come back and they, they feel they feel more connected to that because they've seen us as a species hanging onto this ball of life spinning in the void as the probably the only living creatures everywhere <laughs> in an endless infinity of space. So um, it was part of, of the vision of Earthside and it still is one of my biggest inspirations uh, to get that across in a video game to get people to be more empathetic towards others and to understand that we're all one species and that we all work together to achieve things in a human spaceflight and that that's the only way to even do that. 
I, I gotta get. I gotta. I gotta try this thing. <laughs> At some point, I'm gonna have to find a way to get my hands on some VR. Or when, know, it, com- I, when I, it comes I, to the states, I, I love. I love virtual reality <laughs> so much, and I'm so like disappointed that I just I can't find a way to fit it into my life yet. <laughs> I keep waiting to pull the trigger, but I, I think I just need to do it because there are a lot of cool experiments happening, and it being a part of that sounds important if you're <laughs> if you're looking to have these types of conversations. Yeah. I might I might spend more time in uh Los Angeles, Jared, if you get that. I might just start making some more trips out there randomly. <laughs> well, just another reason for me to get one. But, um have we have we essentially touched on everything we wanted to talk about in relation to empowerment? I think so. I think that that's I, I think this was actually a really nice way of, of maybe wrapping that up. <laughs> yeah. I typically ask this at the end and and if you don't think we need to we can move on but is there is there ways that the gaming industry can improve on um empowerment in video games and um yeah definitely and jenny i'll, I'll throw it to you first what what ways can the industry improve uh in their the ways that they represent empowerment in games i think um i think that's a really simple answer the the answer to that is um make more diverse ways of being empowered in video games <laughs> I mean, now you know what my view on empowerment in video games is and that I think it's a very personal um, question and everyone feels empowered by different things. And given that we all think video games are awesome, um, you know, an industry that delivers on more than one way of feeling empowered in video games just makes us as a whole a more mature and interesting uh, medium. You know, if I can choose between one power fantasy and the other power fantasy, that's maybe not very interesting, but if I can choose between the classic power fantasy, if I feel like that today, and something like Edith Finch, or you know, even Earthside, where I can experience what it is like to feel some part of the overview effect and feeling connected to all of humanity, then that's something really great that we should achieve. Jared, how about you? I kind of said my piece on this earlier, where I would like to see uh, a different spin on you know the progression of like say a survival game where you start out with a lot of lot of tools at your disposal and then uh because of of scarcity or whatever uh towards the end of that game you have to get more creative and with the ways that you solve puzzles uh i think that would be that would be super cool to see more often um i don't know what that would look like or even if it if it would work in a video game but um, you know, you see you see it in movies a lot, and uh, bringing that to an interactive medium, I think, would be would be really super interesting. Right on. I'll just I'll keep mine simple and just say I I agree with both of you. <laughs> I think we had a I think we had a great discussion on this. No, this this has been this has been really cool. I um I feel like my own understanding of empowerment has has expanded over the course of this conversation. So I I, I really appreciate being able to explore that with you guys. Um, move on to emails. How does that sound, Jared? That sounds fantastic. All right. If you have any questions or comments about empowerment or any of our previous topics, please send us an email at podcast at gbfeature.com or connect with us at gbfeature on Twitter. Also, if you have ideas for future topics, send those along and we will try to find the perfect guest to talk about them with. Seriously, um, send us send us comments. Seriously, we, we, we appreciate seriously, all your likes and retweets. Send us. We, we want to have a conversation with, with not just our guests, but also the audience. So if you have... Uh, a different opinion. Let us know. You know, just don't uh, be a dick about it, as as some some people might say. <laughs> um, what do we got, Jared? In any case, um, well, we had a discussion about stealth games recently, a couple episodes back with Khalif. Uh, we, yeah, with Khalif, we kind of talked about our favorite stealth games, and I got to talk about Metal Gear Solid a lot, and that was 
um that was that was a fun time for me because it's like my all-time favorite video game story as crazy as it is but anyways um uh, mr mischievous on twitter he says my favorite stealth game is trying not to wake up the girlfriend when i get up on the weekends it's a boss fight no one wants to initiate oh mr mischievous <laughs> <laughs> i um, uh i mr mischievous i so we should say we we know we know this person in irl um i know his I know his girlfriend. She's she's lovely, and if she, if uh, if she's mad at, at Mr. Mischievous for any reason, I'm I'm sure he probably deserved it. That's true. That's absolutely true. <laughs> what would a stealth game look like in VR, Jenny? Would you have Ooh, any ideas on on the stealth genre and maybe how that would work in uh, the the type of work that you do? Um, <laughs> it's quite a difficult one. Uh, to a degree, I think. We can see parts of that uh, already represented in Skyrim VR because you can stealth in there, obviously. Um, it's a difficult one because uh, you have to kind of get people to slowly understand their surroundings and uh, get spatial awareness in a video game where they are all of a sudden there in, in real life and physically. I once played a reverse escape room where you had to break into a place instead of... Um, <laughs> <laughs> breaking oh, that out sounds which awesome. was amazing and i was utterly shit well, you, at it you did that in vr or in real <laughs> no no in real no life? it was you a real that. escape room and you had to break in instead of oh, go out cool. it was amazing with like actual guards walking around and so on it was awesome <laughs> oh, oh dang well, what's i mean what's what's in the room that's so great do they do they have like cake or something uh no we had to steal a painting it was so good like it was the best that thing is ever. a super cool idea but... and i think i'm gonna fly to sydney to try that out <laughs> yeah it was great it was a paul stayer a friend of mine made that happen it was great he's a game designer he's great anyways but i learned very quickly how fucking shit i at i am at stealth in real life with my actual body <laughs> And spatial awareness is all of a sudden a real problem, and it's kind of the same issues that you would have in a VR stealth game because you're like you're not used to doing that <laughs> with your actual body. Yeah. Most of us don't actually stealth around most of the time, you know. <laughs> so all of a sudden, <laughs> you have to figure out how you know how much noise your body makes. It's it's weird. <laughs> um. So yeah, spatial awareness is probably the biggest issue, but you know, video games are cool and they can give you all kinds of visual tools to help you with that. Um, and then you have something. I'm thinking about a game like Thief in VR, that would be like actually terrifying. Terrifying. Like just hiding in the shadows and hoping someone just like walks past mm. you. I could see that being awful. But also or if really, it was a multiplayer really fun. experience. Like uh, especially games that would use uh, ranged weapons such as bow and arrow for that. Um, that would be really cool. And I think as long as the game gives you enough tools to circumvent that you are shit at spatial awareness <laughs> with your actual body, uh, I think it would be really fun. Right on. Jared, uh, do we have anything else? Uh, that's going to be it. I would like people to... Uh, I think we're going to start asking... Uh, I would like to reach out to people on Twitter more often and try to solicit uh, you know, little mini versions of our podcast and, and try to get people engaged. So... If anybody has any any topics that they would like to uh, talk about, like we would we'd love to do that um, either over email or on Twitter. And remember, you can always email us at podcast at gbfeature.com. And I think that's going to do it. All right. We did it. We did it. <laughs> that was a really good conversation. It that is, was. Uh, it was fun. 
I I didn't know exactly where we were going to go when we started, but I I enjoyed the journey. Hmm. Yeah. It was good. And of course, before we get out of here, I have to thank our guest, Jenny. Thank you so much for hanging out with us and uh, enlightening us on the concept of empowerment in video games. This has been a a blast to talk about with you. Yeah, it was really uh, fun. Where can people keep up with your work? Where can they find you? All that stuff. Yes. Uh, whew, easiest way to keep up with me is probably via my Twitter account, which is at Gaomi, G-A-O-H-M-E-E. Um, that's, you know, the bite-sized version. Otherwise, I have a website with the same name, gaomi.com. Uh, you can follow Earthside everywhere. <laughs> also, mainly via the OPX website, which is opexspace.space. Uh, opx um, we do a lot of cool stuff apart from Earthlight, that has to do with uh, training and human spaceflight, uh, which is really exciting. So yeah, that's me. Where can people find Earthlight? Uh, right now you can purchase Earthlight via the Viveport store uh, for a couple of bucks. It's only a 15-minute experience. It uh, is on Viveport, but it unofficially supports Oculus as well if you have an Oculus Rift at home. Go, uh, go if you have VR, go get it. And then uh, call and invite me over so I can play. <laughs> <laughs> All right, as a reminder, we release new episodes of this show every two weeks. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss anything. If you like what we do and want to help us out, please head over to iTunes and give us a review. I want to thank Kyle Clark for making our theme song. You can check out his podcast. This is Rad on iTunes. I'm Stephen Bennett. That's at Stephen underscore the gamer. And I'm at Jared Bruner on Twitter. We want to thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to us chat about video games. This has been Game Breaking Feature. Remember, it's okay to disagree. Just don't be a dick about it. All right. Thank you, guys. <laughs> thank you. Very good. Fun. <laughs>